Who is this guy? Who is this guy? What happened? You might ask. Well, if you were on yesterday's stream with Sandy Monroe, Jordan Gisagi, and the rest of our awesome friends here at the uh, community forum, you'll know that I lost a bet <laughs> to Sandy and team that I had to have a mustache for yesterday's live stream, which I did. I'm a man of my mustache. I'm a man of my word. I say what I say I'm going to do. But then my wife's like, okay, you look scary. And I'm not so sure <laughs> that I like the look. It's growing on me, but eh, I'm not sure. It's gone, but I'll be back. Don't worry about it. Come on in. Make sure you can hear me. Make sure you can see me. Thank you so much for joining me today. Where are you from? Where are you coming in from? Let me know where you're coming in from. Yeah, this is what I look like. This is me. <laughs> I can't even look at myself. It's like I look like a like a weird person. Anyway, make sure you can hear me. Make sure you can see me. I hope uh, my face doesn't scare you too much. But yeah, lots to cover today. We have a few things to talk about. Um, obviously, the title of the live stream has something to do with Charlie Munger from um, Berkshire Hathaway. Then we also have some discussions around uh, Tesla and Elon, obviously, but also whatever you guys want to talk about, whatever you guys want to talk about in the comments, we'll make this an open um, an open forum uh, about whatever is discussed. We'll go for for about an hour, but yeah, let us know what <laughs> let us know what you uh, where you're coming from. Make sure you can hear me, okay? We got Sweden, we got New Hampshire, we got Austin right next door. I love it. Who is this? You should know. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Uh, we have Bristol. Better with without mustache. Thank you, Pedro. I could make a joke about uh, Napoleon Dynamite, but I'm not going to. Bristol. We have uh, <laughs> Monrovia, California. We got York, PA, Denmark, Europe. Very broad. I love it. Thank you. Um, World War Three. We'll cover that briefly, too. Uh, I know there was there's some noise about Poland. Uh, we'll definitely hit that. Uh, Germany, Finland, we got Yakima, Hong Kong. Where the <laughs> aftershave? No, it, my face. Uh, uh, it's sensitive, man. That's why I, I keep a beard. Where the heck is your mustache? It's gone. My wife's like, hell no. Hell no. Uh, Swapnil Rao from Pennsylvania. I've never been there. Altoona. Beautiful. We got people from Altoona. Pennsylvania represent Czech Republic, Austria. Um, we got Lake Stevens. Perfect. Colorado. Looks like you guys can hear me okay. Looks like uh, you guys can see me okay because everybody's making a comment about my face. <laughs> so we're good. Pretty sad the stash was short-lived. That's okay. If we ever bring back the mustache, we'll, uh, we'll, we can do it quick because this hair grows back quick, man. Don't you worry about it. In about a week, I'm going to look completely different. All right. Sandy Monroe has joined Twitter. Y'all, Monroe Live is on this incredible <laughs> marketing campaign today, which I love. If nobody's following Sandy Monroe, what are you doing with your life? Let's pull up his uh, his Twitter real quick, right? Let's hook up um, let's hook up on row while we're out here. Actually, I retweeted one of his uh, tweets earlier today. Let's find him. Look at this guy. Look at this handsome guy. You know, you, you guys are giving me grief for not having my mustache. How can I compete? How can I compete with this? How can I compete with that, y'all? It's impossible. I'm on Twitter now. See my video below. Look at this. Look at that mustache. Look at that. Look at that. Looks so good. Make sure you follow Sandy if you don't already. Tear down Titan on Twitter. Uh, Sandy Jordan from Limiting Factor and I had a discussion yesterday. Super, super fun. Thank you, Monroe team, for um, sparing Sandy for a few minutes. It was a great discussion. Uh, you can find it on this channel. You can also find it on Twitter as well. I'm trying to put all my stuff on Twitter too. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to leave the, uh, the music um, super soft in the background i'm trying different things on this uh, channel definitely to see the vibe you know kind of influence the vibe a little bit i want it to be more conversational obviously and that's one one of the things i've been i've been trying to reach to but if it um <laughs> if at some point the music does get uh crazy thank you dude <laughs> my wife literally just handed me chapstick because i'm like i'm guessing my lips are dry <laughs> guys we're doing this live man i don't care you guys confused I apologize. Literally, she'll be like, why your lips look so damn crusty? In the comments, if you want to see my wife on one of my live streams, drop it in the comments below. 
and then I'll show it to her and be like, yo, you guys want, want to meet my wife? Uh, we'll have a conversation. Uh, should have kept the mustache. Listen, after seeing Sandy's, it's hard. It's very, very hard to to um, to compete, man. It's very, very hard to compete. Okay, let's go ahead and get started here. Okay, so let's discuss Berkshire Hathaway, Charlie Munger, the recent comments that were made by him. So one of the things that's very interesting about Berkshire Hathaway is that Berkshire Hathaway is, is, is known for uh, being super, super conservative with their um, investments. They are actually going to turn off the music because it's actually distracting me. So I can't even believe what it's doing for you. <laughs> um, yeah, so Berkshire Hathaway, for those that are not familiar, is one of the largest funds in the world where they invest in a bunch of different companies. And the two uh, basically fund runners in Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett are... Very well known. Obviously, Warren Buffett should be a household name for folks that are in stocks, finance, so on and so forth. And typically, they're known to uh, be quite conservative in their investment methodology. And of course, I, as a super amateur investor and somebody that just likes to learn about stuff, uh, I've been interested in, in sort of how they how they invest in things, what their investing philosophy is. But one of the things that, that happened today was there was a clip from Charlie Munger where he praised Elon Musk. He he praised uh, Tesla, the company, on the things that they've achieved. The, um, you know, there was a quote. Actually, you know what? Let me go ahead and play the video for those that haven't seen it. You know, why am I out here talking when we got a clip to show to the people? Uh, let me go ahead and pull this up. So this was in response to a question in uh, on CNBC, uh, everyone's favorite news news network, and. Um, I forget the the lady's name, but let me go ahead and pull this up. We'll listen to this, and I'll share my thoughts for those that have missed it. So let me go ahead and do that, and uh, let's let's watch together. Was at a lunch. I also got the chance to ask Mr. Munger about Elon Musk. Over the weekend, there was a Twitter account that tweets out quotes supposedly from Elon Musk. This one said, I was at a lunch with Munger in 2009 where he told the whole table all the ways Tesla would fail. Made me quite sad, but I told him I agreed with all those reasons and that we would probably die, but it was worth trying anyway. Now, Elon Musk himself replied back to that and said, true, that did happen. I asked Charlie Munger about it. He doesn't recall that lunch. It was a long time ago, 2009, probably uh, made a bigger impression on Elon Musk than it did on Charlie Munger. However, when you talk to him about it, he doesn't remember giving the diagnosis. He still had some uh, kind things to say about Elon Musk. I was certainly surprised that Tesla did as well as it did. But I do not equate Tesla with Bitcoin. Good. Tesla, Tesla has has made some real contributions to, to civilization. Elon Musk has done some good things that other people couldn't do. In fact, about Musk's work at Tesla, Munger was very complimentary. We haven't had a successful new auto company in a long, long time. What Tesla has done in the car business is a minor miracle. A minor miracle so that was interesting right so uh, now what's important here i think to keep in mind is that we have somebody that initially sounds like was comparing tesla to bitcoin which um i'm not going to make a comment on that because i think they're two very different things but um i just made a comment on it as i said i'm not going to make a comment on that but uh, it's interesting right so but but what's interesting and to keep in mind here is that Charlie is is very clearly of a different thought process as a say somebody who likes to invest in growth companies or companies that have long-term visions like a Tesla, companies that might be riskier, companies that have a CEO that's very vocal, that's very non-traditional. Charlie Munger very much and his ilk are very specific about how they invest. Now, the one thing that I started to look at and just this is sort of again to start a conversation I'm not sure where this goes, and this is where I would love your input in the comments, and that's why we're doing this as a live stream. Live stream, uh, rather. Let me go ahead and pull up um, Berkshire Hathaway's portfolio. So Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett—they're uh, both running Berkshire Hathaway. So top fifty Berkshire Hathaway holdings. So we have companies like Apple, Bank of America, Chevron, Coca-Cola, American Express. Never heard of this one. Occidental, Pete Corp, Kraft. All right. So these are very large 
companies, very well-known companies. Uh, in the second column here, you can see what percentage of that company is held by Berkshire Hathaway. So Apple, Berkshire Hathaway holds roughly of their total holdings, Apple constitutes about 42% of the portfolio, which is valued at $123 billion. So by far their largest company. Then you have Bank of America next at 10%, Chevron at eight, Coca-Cola at seven and a half, American Express at 6.9, ha ha, so on and so forth. So uh, let's dig in a little bit more. So if I take as an example, a company like Apple, and I pull up their um, statistics, so if I go to Yahoo Finance, which apparently is my favorite site to go to for stocks, because I don't know, um, large company, market cap of about $2.4 trillion. But here's here's one thing that I want you guys to sort of uh, focus on, what, what I find really interesting. So a company like Apple has a trailing PE on, on Yahoo Finance's website, the way they calculate, you know, trailing and forward PEs, which you can do in different ways. You can do trailing 12 months, trailing six months from what I found. It, it's kind of a figure that people can kind of craft to, to tell their narratives. But Yahoo is going to do the same for every single company that they show. So Apple has a trailing PE, a price to earnings ratio of about 24, and a forward PE as of September of 21. So it's kind of like one to one. So the forward and the backwards, it's about the same, which means that they're growing at about the same rate that they have been. And the valuation basically is not really um, impacted by their future growth prospects per se. Let's kind of use that as, as a framing. Probably not perfect, but let's use that as a framing. What's the next company? Bank of America. So Bank of America, go ahead and pull them up. Statistics. Here we go. So trailing PE of 12, forward PE of 10. So what the market's saying for these companies is that, again, the price to earnings ratio for Bank of America would suggest at a 12, which is lower than to Apple, is that it, it has a much more conservative investing base. People that are investing at in Bank of America, these prices are investing in it, not because of its growth prospects, but probably because of you know its, its strong financials. Um, the fact that they have a dividend, maybe does Bank of America have a dividend? Let's find out. Dividend. Uh, yes, they do. So they they have a uh, dividend yield of about two point two nine percent. Apple are also offers a dividend. So uh, you know, folks are not necessarily investing in Bank of America because of uh, its growth prospects. They're investing in it because it may, maybe it offers a dividend. Maybe they do buybacks, so on and so forth. What's another one that we can look at? Let's look at one more. Chevron. So what was that? CVX. CVX. Here we go. So Chevron. Statistics, enterprise va enterprise value of about three hundred and sixty eight billion. Market price market cap of three sixty. Again, trailing PE of ten, forward PE of eleven. If we pull up their dividends, they offer a dividend yield of about three percent. Right. So again, not a fast growing company. Uh, investors are not investing into this company to not because of its growth prospects, but because of I guess how solid it is. Now, if I go down the list a little bit. And I say I pull up a company. There's one specific one. So there's a couple actually. Let's look, pull up Amazon. So Amazon constitutes, excuse me, I don't know how to use my computer. Amazon, we lost them 0.47 somewhere. There we go. Amazon. So let's go ahead and pull that company up and look at their statistics. So Amazon is a, I think, one point, yeah, it's, it's gone down quite a bit. It's almost under a trillion market cap, y'all. You remember when Amazon used to be almost $2 trillion? Or I think it was over $2 trillion at one point. Crazy. Trailing PE of 89. Right? So that's a very different number than from Apple. Like if we if we go ahead and pull up Apple real quick again. You know, and Apple, again, this is a tech, you know, a tech company. It's a company that uh, is investing very heavily in technology. And supposedly it should be entering markets that are going to be fast growing. Right? But it's already a very large company. They have a lot of market share and a lot of the things they do. Uh, trailing P of 24. And then the other two that we saw, Bank of America and Chevron, were in the teens. That's very interesting, right? So why? It's, it's, it's you know, there's a sort of like thing around Berkshire Hathaway that, hey, they, they, they're they going to be investing in these like very steady eddy names and so on and so forth. Like maybe not crazy growth. Um, Amazon doesn't have a uh, dividend either. So that's inter interesting to keep in mind, right? So what the market's saying here is that Amazon, we're giving them a price that's uh, 
know, it's very differently valued from, say, a Apple or a Chevron or a Bank of America. We're much more betting on their ability to grow into the future, grow their earnings, so on and so forth. What's another one that sticks out? There was another one that's very interesting here. Snowflake. What's Snowflake? Uh, for those that are not familiar, they offer software. They're kind of a competitor to pay, uh, a Patreon. Palantir. Ha ha. Can't even talk today. Uh, market cap of $46 billion, So much, much smaller than an Amazon or a Chevron or a Bank of America. Forward uh, PE. They don't even have a trailing PE because uh, they're not really reporting profits, uh, uh, earnings. But the forward PE is 434. It's a big number. Do they have a dividend? Interesting. Let's go ahead and pull up Tesla. And let's do a very apples to apples comparison versus those names that I just pulled up. Market cap value of 600 billion, a trailing PE of 59, forward PE of 35, which are both much smaller than Amazon or Snowflake. And the market cap is somewhere in between those two, right? So what's very interesting to me here, and this is where I would love to sort of start a conversation, is, sorry for the beard, or lack thereof, I'm back. Um, why wouldn't Berkshire Hathaway invest in something like Tesla? You know, just looking through their funds, if I go ahead and pull that, pull that up again, some of the names we all know, but then names like Snowflake, like Amazon, um, Names like T-Mobile. I'm pretty sure T-Mobile is another one that's like kind of uh, more on the growth side more than anything. So T-Mobile US, let's go ahead and pull them up. I could be 100% wrong, but if I remember my, um, yeah, 100 and, 119 trailing PE, but their forward PE is 19, right? So they their upcoming prospects are very, very, um, from an earnings perspective, are awesome. Uh, but they have been at a trailing P of over 100, again, which is higher than Tesla's. So why why wouldn't Berkshire Hathaway invest in something like a Tesla, you know? I think the conversation is then, in my head, the way I've been sort of monitoring the Tesla community and the investment community a little bit in the last few months is that it probably has to do more with aversion to risk of how the company is maybe portrayed uh, they do have uh, Elon Musk is very much a person that's uh, very <laughs> willing to speak his mind uh, out in the you know, public forum. As everybody who follows Tesla knows, he's not afraid to speak his mind. And that's a very unorthodox way of operating a business, especially in relation to basically every other company, especially of that size. You know, you don't see Mary Barra or Tim Cook. Or even um, Jeff Bezos when he was the the head of Amazon, uh, and all these guys. Even you know Steve Jobs. Like these these folks are nowhere near as vocal and open out in the public sphere as an Elon. So I'm curious to like throw around the ideas. Like okay, is it is it um is it an Elon thing that you know maybe Berkshire Hathaway doesn't invest in Tesla? And I'm not saying they should or shouldn't. All I'm all I'm sort of asking the question of like how come. You know, it's very interesting. How come, how come they're not, you know, it seems like if, if the company, if Berkshire Hathaway has invested in a company like Apple and it, they're investing in a company like Snowflake and investing in a company like Amazon, they are, however small part of their portfolio, they're kind of sort of have some tangents, some similarity to how Tesla operates as a business. So what do you guys think? What do you guys think? Do you think it makes sense for Berkshire Hathaway to invest in Tesla? Do you think if they do invest in Tesla, do you think that sends a, a different signal? And the way I think about it is if, say, Berkshire Hathaway decides to throw the same sort of money at at, at the company as they would, say, Snowflake, right? So Snowflake was, um, uh, where are they at? 0.35. So they invested about a billion dollars worth of money into Snowflake. So what if, what if uh, Charlie and uh, Warren threw a billion bucks at Tesla. What kind of, you know, message would that send to uh, the market? You know, what, what, what two guys that are very traditionally looked at, very conservative value investors that are looking into companies that could generate them um, very consistent profits in the long term. Why wouldn't they throw their money into companies like that, right? So I would be very interested to hear your thoughts. So let's make that into a discussion. What do you guys think? What do you guys think? 
maybe their analysis shows something that we do not see. So what what would what would that be? I'm curious. Like what like what? What would be the um thing that they could be seeing technically? And of course, we don't see it. But what would be something like an example? It's a buyback thing. Apple, for example, buys back a ton of their stock, which artificially props up the stock price. Burke knows this and is able to manage risk this way and Elon factor. Okay. Does Amazon Snowflake uh, buy back shares? Let's find out. So Amazon stock buyback. Uh, yeah. So they did a tw 10 billion buyback in March. What am I doing? I'm not even sharing my screen, y'all. I'm the worst. Amazon announces 24-1 stock split, $10 billion buyback. Interesting. Snowflake buyback. Um, let's try again. Wow. It's very poorly rated. Oh, zero ratings. Okay. Has Snowflake ever done a buyback? I don't even know if the grammar is right there, but I don't care. Uh, okay. It doesn't look like they did a, uh, a buyback. Okay. So... Interesting. So why would they invest in Snowflake, but that hasn't done a buyback or has a dividend, but they wouldn't invest in Tesla, right? In 2012, Berkshire investor invested in IBM. This is five years into the iPhone. They didn't admit this mistake until 2016 when they invested in Apple. Okay. So maybe they're uh, slow to act. Given that Charlie and Warren have said they don't understand tech, they only went into Apple very late when it's throwing off cash. I think they're going to test in a few years when it's cash machine. Cool. But 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 then why invest in Snowflake, right? This is where I'm I'm trying to understand the psychology of the of of why they would they would do that. Berkshire tends to lean towards dividend stocks. Okay. <laughs> why invest in Snowflake? <laughs> you know? Uh and again, these are very valid. I, I don't I don't mean to say it in a way so that it, it dismisses what what you guys are saying. It's just I go back to like using that central factor, then why invest in a company like Snowflake? They don't invest in Tesla because of Geico. Tesla insurance is going to ruin Geico. Oh, interesting. So for those that don't know, Berkshire Hathaway does indeed invest in Geico. Let me pull up. Um, is it under a different name? I, is Geico's private, right? Is Geico private? Uh, yeah. Oh, it's wholly owned. Okay. What's the connection with Berkshire Hathaway? In 1996, Geico became a wholly owned subsidiary of Berkshire Hathaway. Okay, got it. So it's it's basically under their umbrella. Got it. Um, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> they simply don't view Tesla as anything more than a car manufacturer. The rest of the business is a blip on the radar at this point. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I, I'm really curious to see what, what happens here because... The one thing that sort of went through my mind and one thing that I've been tracking, I'm sure you guys are familiar with Alexander Mertz, somebody that's uh, super popular in the in the Tesla community. Um, I think she publicly threw around the idea of potentially maybe trying to, I don't know, like she, she she's talked about the whole Berkshire Hathaway um, um dynamic and i'm wondering if maybe there's going to be like <laughs> something there where if if charlie and warren see the potential of tesla they could change their minds i actually made a <laughs> i made a, a a poll uh earlier today on twitter where i asked should uh <laughs> the replies on this were freaking hilarious thoughts on elon musk giving charlie munger and warren buffett an fsd beta drive 11 ride along test ride 86 percent said yes six percent said no but then uh, <laughs> uh, some of the comments were about how this could be a uh, potential safety uh, thing because of their uh, age, which, uh, you know, I think they're much more resilient than they look. You can't be in that field unless you're freaking resilient, right? Like you're in finance, you're managing people's money. You got to have, you got to stone cold nerves, right? But yeah, very, very interesting there. And um, just something to throw around, something to throw around. I think, I think if it does happen, if for whatever reason they decide to invest in a name like Tesla, especially since they've invested in thing like on a thing like Snowflake, it could be an interesting thing. But again, it's just part of the discussion, something that I just wanted to throw out there to see what, what people thought. So what else do you guys want to talk about? What are some questions or comments you have? Throw them in the comments section. We'll hit those. Um, if anything comes up where we can pull up some material and research, we'll do that as well. But um, yeah. Just very interesting that uh, they came out and sort of threw that out, especially when the, the price is on the lower side, especially in the last 12 weeks or 12 months for Tesla. A lot of noise around buybacks. You know, Elon has come out and said, hey, we're doing a buyback. So I wonder if maybe that becomes a signal 
for Berkshire Hathaway to say, hey, listen, this company that we don't potentially haven't wanted to invest in, we haven't wanted, we didn't want to invest in for the longest time. Now they're, they're showing their quote unquote financial strength. Maybe we should throw some money into there, right? So Berkshire bought Snowflake before IPO. Okay, thank you for that um, for that insight for sure. Uh, yeah. Buffett and Gates are BFFs. Gates shorted Tesla big time. <laughs> I wonder if that's uh, part of it too. All these behind the behind the scenes deals that go on. Maybe that's what uh, what's going on. <laughs> Warren Redlick and Gary Black cage match. Yeah. If you guys have been on Twitter, I'm sure you know what this means. I'm not going to hit it because uh, I'm just going to let it let it happen. Um, let's let's look into this a little bit because this could very much influence markets. Russia just hit NATO land in Poland with missiles. RIP. All was fun. Investing, yeah. Let's not let's not jump to conclusions because obviously, let's go ahead and look at the markets and see how they're reacting for now, and then we'll take it from there. So Nasdaq's bounced back quite a bit. So I did see this. Uh, I literally saw this news um, right before I went live, where there was a uh, let's see, Poland missile. Uh, oh my God! How the hell do you spell missile? I'm so bad at this. Uh, U.S. officials, Russian missiles. Um, cross into Poland. Uh, Russian missiles cross into Poland, killing two. And this was uh, posted 26 minutes ago. Yeah, I, I think so. This is a very fresh news article. I definitely want to hit it because I see a lot of people hitting it in the comments here. Russian missiles kill two people in NATO member. Poland, U.S. intelligence official says, just real quick, let's parse through this. Russian missiles have killed two people in NATO member Poland. Polish Prime Minister, um, not even going to try, has called an urgent meeting to discuss national security. Uh, okay. So Polish media said missiles hit an area where grain was drying in um, Zawodo. Okay. Fighters are on the spot. It's not clear what has happened. Moscow launched a large number of missiles at Ukraine on Wednesday, knocking out power for 7 million households. Okay. So I do wonder, I do wonder, again, I don't want to downplay the importance of this. Obviously, this is important enough to do a very um, diligent news coverage on, but it has just broken uh, no more than an hour ago, it seems. So I think it's going to be one of those moments where we've got to wait and see what what happens uh, once they do some research. In war, I mean, there is... I mean, accidental casualties happen all the time, unfortunately. And of course, I don't want to validate anything here, but uh, I think it's going to be a wait and see approach. Let's see what happens. The market's are um looks like they have rebounded since those that new broke that news broke so maybe there is some some hope there that it wasn't intentional but again then the question becomes even if it was accidental shouldn't it be shouldn't there be some repercussions and i'm sure there's some nervousness around that so let's see what happens let's see what happens um why is nobody talking about the fact that tesla announced that they will be producing a terawatt of batteries and they will yeah, I mean they they've uh, they've been talking quite a bit about a lot of things with Tesla out there, but unfortunately, Twitter, Elon Musk on Twitter, sort of being out there talking about different things, has dominated a lot of the news headlines because you know you throw Elon's name on a title and it's going to get clicks. Unfortunately, and that's how how the media landscape works nowadays. But uh, Tesla is very much achieving incredible things. And on yesterday's podcast with Jordan and. Um, and Sandy and, and our panel, we discussed basically everything Tesla. And it's obvious that there's a lot of things coming down the pike that are going to transform the company. And it's, you know, I have posited in the past that Tesla sort of exited this, you know, all everything, it's all a growth story and blah, 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 into much more, hey, like we're here to stay for the really long term. We're going to make a giant amount of money. And we are essentially unstoppable because the the market forces around EVs and and the favorability towards EVs has changed, and that's going to cause a giant demand spike, especially with the EV tax rate in the U.S. coming out as well around these parts. That's going to be another demand lever. So, and then you got Tesla battery, uh, the the energy part of the business ramping and all that good stuff. So it's there's a lot of great great things coming down the pike, but unfortunately, if you go online, it's a lot of Elon Musk as a person and and the twitter acquisition which is near here or there that's just what it is so some of that stuff's not going to come to the forefront so it might require some some more um i think a different market to really make these things much more visible so say in a bull market i think it would have been much more uh apparent that 
a lot of these positive things, especially in respects to Tesla, would come to the forefront. But over time, uh, at least in this time, rather, now that we have you know, in a bear market and folks are just more jittery, uh, things that are more potential risks to a story become come to the forefront way more. It's just it's just what it is. When people are nervous about stuff, that's the kind of stuff that sells is what I'm learning. So, yeah, I'm sure the good news, you know, quote unquote, good news for, for the company are going to keep keep coming. But uh, yeah, it's going to take time. <laughs> this is not far as but it is far as us younger cousin. Yeah. How do you how do you, why are you guys all convinced it's me? Hopefully I sound exactly the same same way that I do all the time. Uh, you look young, younger with uh, without the stash. Thank you, I guess. Uh, what do you guys think? What what other uh, questions do you have? Comments? What do you guys want to talk about? Throw throw out some um, some topics here and we'll hit them. Berkshire Hathaway just praised Elon and we were trying to come up with why they should add Tesla to the fund. Um, yeah, yeah, we we covered that uh, earlier today, uh, earlier in the stream rather, and uh, yeah, it's I I don't know if if it's going to really impact too much, but. I think it's an important discussion because if it does happen, I do think it's going to be a a uh, quite a shift in sentiment. You know, when you have again one of these most storied funds throwing their money behind a story like Tesla, then it it, it could send a signal to other funds that says, "Hey, we're in it. How come you're not in it?" You know, it's always interesting to think about those dynamics because you know I'm not super familiar with how that works, but it's it's ponderous to go through through that. You know. Uh... Humanoid factory robots. Just a friendly reminder that we saw Optimus working at the factory two months ago. Yeah, I, I do think there is uh, quite a bit of potential down the pike for, for the bot. It's, uh, man, it'd be crazy if in the next couple of weeks they come out and like, hey, look, it's it's walking on its own now. I think when when they did AI Day 2, they were talking about how the the bot still needed, the the newer version needed to be you know, held up with uh, with the cord and they had to ensure that it could walk on its own and they were weeks away from the thing walking on its own. But theoretically, we're weeks away. So if uh, if Tesla's able to come out with a, with a video that says, hey, look at this now, it's walking. Mm, may, might make some waves. Boston Dynamics, where you at? <laughs> Any chance Carpathy comes back to work at Twitter? He was tweeting a lot about social media a few months back. Oh, um. Yeah, that's interesting. I think in the Lex Friedman interview, he he threw out the chance of potentially going back to Tesla. And it seems like he was quite interested on the Tesla bot side, but he wasn't nearly as keen about being there in a management role. He wanted to be more in an engineering role. So if there's some sort of overlap at Twitter that could make him sort of fulfilled from that perspective, I don't see why that can't happen. But yeah, it'll be it'd be interesting to see. It'd be very interesting to see. It is just super talented. That's what it really really what it really, what it really comes down to. What it really comes down to. Um <laughs> no one's asking you to stay, bro. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's it's interesting that the um the the larger you get, the the uh, dynamics are um that appear are interesting. Uh, as a public figure, I guess. Awesome to hear from Randolph and Mortimer on Tesla. Actually, I don't know. I don't know who those folks are. Let me know what uh, who those uh, who those folks are. Yeah, are you going to uh, the semi-release event? I'm not actually. I haven't been invited yet. So, but if I don't know if I'm going to get invited, but if I do get invited, it would definitely be something that I'd be interested in going. Um, when we're sitting down with Sandy and um, Jordan yesterday, one of the things that we threw around was the sort of the profitability potential of the semi. And one of the things that we threw at Sandy was, okay, so is there anything really stopping Tesla from charging, say, 300,000 bucks a pop for these semis, which would make them, say, 50% gross margin on the product? It's like, yeah, I don't see why they wouldn't be able to do that, especially as, as Sandy thinks the cost of diesel increases over time and the cost of gas continues to increase over time. Uh, because of supply constraints, really, because the markets, I guess, I guess we didn't really embark too much into why that would be the case. But Sandy thinks that the price of diesel and gas is going to increase over time, that the value proposition is not only already great for a semi, but it's going to be even better over time. And these folks that sort of operate the semis and the fleets are very much cost driven. 
And if this, if the electric vehicle, you know, version of the semi becomes the the cheapest one to run, then the demand for those things are going to be nuts. So it's going to be very similar to what's happening now with just regular cars, regular electric vehicles and how they operate. So um, that was a very interesting discussion. That's probably going to catch a lot of people by surprise, especially as they ramp. I think Elon's goal is 50,000 run rate by the end of 24, if I remember correctly. That's a lot of trucks, man. That's that's a few that's a few billion to the bottom line that's going to get added from that operation, which might cause people, you know, catch people by surprise, especially because I don't think anybody is really adding that to their models per se. Uh, a lot of the financial analysts. So I don't know if the market is necessarily pricing that in, but I doubt it. You don't really hear semi as part of the discussion when it comes to Tesla's uh, valuation. So, um, yeah. Could you imagine how sad it will be when Pepsi shows off their Tesla semis on a Super Bowl commercial and Coca-Cola has to say, hey, we don't have EVs, but a lot of our drivers have quit smoking. <laughs> Coca-Cola should just freaking buy them too, you know? Get both of them on there. Your PE of, uh, yep, PE of 25 sounds reasonable. Not because that's where it should be, but because we also need the truest of funds to be willing to pay us a thousand bucks. And I'm guessing this is in respects to uh, to Tesla, right? Um I mean, the lower that PE goes, man, the more the more folks that are looking for great buying opportunities will jump in, especially as Tesla continues to show uh, giant profitability prospects into 2024, 2023, 2024, and so on. Like it's at some point, something's got to give. Something's got to give and folks are going to have to pony up <laughs> the valuation for the company that it demands, you know, especially in, in respects to their peers. Do you expect incentives to drive end of year deliveries? Uh, for example, free supercharging for a year. Um, it depends how. I think it really depends on how willing Tesla is going to be at hitting a certain number. The one thing that might do in some markets, like say in China or in other places where they think they have a lot of production set up for the rest of the year and they feel like they could spur some demand. They could very much do that. In the US, though, it's interesting, though, because we have the EV tax credit coming out in January of this year the, uh, with the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. So the question becomes, what is the incentive for them to do that when they know they're going to have a gigantic amount of demand uh, into next year? So it's going to be market by market. I wouldn't be surprised if it does happen in, say, uh, uh, other markets like China or maybe some other markets where they're trying to spur demand. But yeah. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to uh to find. <laughs> Let's see this one. Uh when you shave your beard this morning, did you shave a patch above your upper lip? Kinda uh, like, oh my god, crazy. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> I'm not even gonna say the name because I don't want freaking YouTube to turn me down. Um sorry you have failed to meet the obligations of the debt. You must look like uh uh snidely whiplash as in depicted in your thumbnail from yesterday. Uh you have failed to meet the obligations of the debt. I got my mustache, bro. I had it yesterday. Uh, yeah, thank you, DRK. If you want Farzad to see your comment, use comment or question for him to see it easier. I appreciate it. Yeah, a little bit easier for me to navigate the comment section if you put question before you comment. Uh, but I'll, st I'll still go through and, and sort of pull these up as we go. Um, according to media, Russian airstrike kills two in Poland. Yeah, we, we did a little bit of that earlier this, um, this stream. Let me know. Um, if anything new comes up as we go through, it does look like we just have, it, we're a little bit in a, um, wait and see approach. You said it's growing on you. It literally is. I know it's already like roughed up a little bit. The, the five o'clock's coming in a little bit. Uh, yeah. Are you getting a cyber truck or are you stoked for it? Yes. Yeah. I placed my order the day after it was unveiled and I got to tell you, man, that night when it was unveiled, I was like, man, what did they do? It was super polarizing. And then I was working at a Tesla at the time. And I remember going in and everybody's like half the warehouse is like, I hate it. And half the warehouse is like, I love it. And I'm like, man, let me look at it again. And I pulled it up on my phone. I'm like, okay, I got to do it. So I placed a hundred bucks. And then uh, like two weeks later, everyone was like, oh my God, this thing's going to be so sick. So it was very interesting to see how opinion changed over time. 
man, no one's talking about the Cybertruck, and that's that's coming. That's in the next what six to nine months. We should start seeing the the first units coming out of Giga Texas. I live in Austin, so or Austin area rather, and you're gonna start seeing these on the road. It's I'm very much excited. It's really gonna it's gonna be a pop culture phenomenon. It's gonna be a music videos everywhere. I think uh, a lot of folks that have a lot of clout, let's call it on social media and other places are probably going to want to get their hands on it as soon as possible. It's going to sell itself. It's going to propel Tesla to just new heights when it comes to uh, desirability. Probably Tesla's best marketing campaign is going to be the release of the Cybertruck. And I'm very excited to see that. It's going to be nuts. It's going to be freaking crazy. Uh, how about a deep dive into IRA live stream with a guest who has studied this thing? Actually, what's interesting is we did one with, uh, we did a Twitter space with, or I, I was part of one. I can't remember who was running it, but Bradford Ferguson went on Jordan Gisigi's channel, The Limiting Factor, shout out Jordan, and they did this. So if you go search for this on, on Jordan's channel, if you type, I think Bradford Ferguson, Let's go check it out. Let's make sure we can find it for y'all and give a, a plug for our boy Jordan because he is the man. So Bradford Ferguson limiting four. Yeah, there's our boy. Perfect. Let's go ahead and uh, mute this. So this right here, uh, it's about a 22 minute video. There is a, they did a quite a deep dive on the IRA and how it's going to impact Tesla's financials. So make sure you go check it out. The limiting factor, Jordan Gisigi, um, Tesla and the advanced manufacturing production credit. I just searched for Brad for Ferguson limiting factor and it came up. Shout out Jordan for having great tags. Good job. Um, it was very, it was a great discussion. I highly recommend it. If you really want to fully understand how this uh, tax bill is going to impact Tesla. It's going to be nuts because they're going to get the the sell side on it, the co consumer side where uh, there's going to be demand from the $7,500 tax credit. And then Tesla's going to get credits on the back end from battery manufacturing. So it's like a double whammy. You know, they'll get it on the sell side and then they get it on the cost side as well. Nuts. Nuts. With Dan Ives jumping ship, do you believe that it is freeing in the general sentiment that Elon is causing too much distrust, uh, that it's feeding in the general sentiment that Elon is causing too much distrust, distrust with investors? Um, so how do we define jumping ship, right? So is I don't think Dan Ives has sold his position. I believe he still holds it, but he's being very critical of how Elon is acting. Um, is it feeding the general sentiment that Elon's causing too much distrust with investors? I think it's, I mean, it's definitely adding to the discussion. I think feeding is a, uh, is an interesting word because it's all about how folks perceive the feedback. Uh, I personally think that these guys have a, have a right to, you know, say what they want in respects to how they think about the company or whatnot. And it's um, it's up to the sort of person to gauge how this this uh, uh, information is coming through. I didn't really see anything from Dan specifically, and I didn't look look at all his tweets. Now, to be completely honest, I did. You know, I, I saw the little piece that he did. I forget who it was with on the on the one news network where he was kind of talking through his how his thesis may have changed a little bit because of the noise that Elon's creating from the Twitter side. Um, that, you know, his attention span is sort of all over the place and he's just being too abrasive on the Twitter thing, how that's going to impact Tesla. He has every right to say that, I think. But it really comes down to the individual and the research they want to do. I think there's a lot of other voices on the other side, especially on retail, that do a good job of telling that side of the story. You know, like folks, you know, Rob Maurer, Dave Lee, all these other folks that you can look up that do a really good job on that side. So I, I think a variety of opinions is important. Um, now we should be very free to disagree with them and rebut them if if we so choose. But um, I think the stress ultimately will come down to how the individual perceives how Elon is acting. And the one thing that I came up with on on Twitter, actually, when it, in respect to distrust specifically, was that when Elon decided to sell additional shares um, last week, the week before, I put out a note that said, hey, like, 
you said, uh, what was it, when in August or something that you were done selling, right? And the context of that statement was interesting because folks perceived it as it's he's done selling that tranche, right? that sort of uh, amount that he wanted to sell in order to ensure that the deal, the Twitter deal would close. And my note was, hey, like, if you said you're not going to sell anymore, there's going to be uh, confusion at the very least from folks that would perceive that message as, hey, I'm done selling, and then you go ahead and sell again. So it might be important to say why you sold this time, the, the last week or two. It, it might generate some distrust. Um, I said this as I, I was getting texts from family and friends saying, what the hell? <laughs> what a jerk. He said he wasn't going to sell. So there was a folks were obviously uh, understanding that message differently. I myself felt like, okay, um, it doesn't feel correct. It doesn't sit right. And ultimately, I think it was more just a communication issue more than anything. As I sat through it for a few days and collected my thoughts and heard everyone's side, I still feel like it opens them up to a little bit of uh, distrust as an individual. Now, if voices are out there being very vocal about why Elon might not be executing on something correctly, could it feed that distrust? Maybe. But ultimately, I want to leave it up to the individual to decide how they're perceiving the situation. And I think silencing or, or um, say, being, uh, let's say, attacking folks for voicing their opinion, however much however much we might disagree with it is not the correct take. I think rebuttaling them in, in a respectful manner and then showing the opposite side of it is much more effective because the individual is smart. I mean, all you guys that watch me, you're smart. Like, you know, I don't have to, you can smell bullshit, right? So it really comes down to trusting the individual to make the right decision. And it's, uh, yeah. And if you, if you, if you want to rebuttal, rebuttal, that's a very long answer to your question, but I wanted to make sure I provide as much, uh, color as humanly possible um oh interesting comment people have selfish interests on their tesla stock elon is just exercising selfish interest for twitter interesting what do you think about that uh i don't think the trust problem came from what elon said but more that institutionals might be afraid that elon is selling uh 100 billion in shares uh if he falls in love with meta or white lion uh yeah, maybe. I mean, I I do think, I think when, when you have institutional investors that are used to a CEO and an executive acting a certain way, the way that Elon acts is very unorthodox. So I could see their fear, but um, yeah, I just, I, but, but I still feel like in the, in, in the way that Elon operates, he has a track record of execution. So in the end, three to five years time, all of this is going to be essentially a non-issue <laughs> because he's probably going to get it done. And once he gets it done, Tesla's going to be, I don't know, selling 5 million cars a year, maybe more, 10 million cars a year. Twitter's probably going to be the state-of-the-art social media company that's going to be making a lot of money. And even though it's good to have these conversations now in the long term, Elon has a track record of showing that, hey, listen, I'm still going to get it done. It's going to be a rocky road. People are going to get pissed at me, but how is that different than any anything else I've ever done in, in the past? So, and that's just what it means to be a Tesla investor. You know, what do you think about analysts that uh, purposefully omit Tesla's impressive execution on the fundamentals of the business to echo the negatives, which are mostly insignificant to Tesla? Um, I mean, it depends on analysts, right? There's a lot of analysts that cover Tesla broadly. The ones that I follow don't really omit that too much from, from what I see. And um, an echo to echo the negatives, which are mostly insignificant to Tesla. Yeah, it's it's really just it comes down to a lens perspective. Like what's more, more important to the person that's voicing it? So I I try my absolute best to remove emotion from my analysis of whatever's going on as an observer as much as possible. I'm not always great at that, to be completely honest. I'm trying to get better over, over time. But I, I agree that the fundamentals of the business is going to carry it long term. And it, you know, again, three to five years time, all of this is we're going to look back and be like, this was like, who cares? This is where we are now. So um comes down to the individual to decide who they think provides the most balanced view. And sometimes it is okay to have, I think, a person that might be quote unquote echoing things that you might think are like unfair almost like it doesn't make any sense 
just to I use it to just keep myself in check. I follow Gordon Johnson on Twitter, y'all. I follow Gordon Johnson. How many of you guys think Gordon Johnson is a um let's forget him as a person. I'm sure he's a great guy and I'm sure it's fun to, you know, hang out with, but as an analyst for Tesla, he has been very very wrong always. <laughs> but I still follow him because I think it's important to have a variety of of takes. However wrong I might think they are. There might be a nugget there that he throws out that spurs a thought. I'm like, huh, okay, that's interesting. I didn't think about it that way. But at the very least, it's it's something that helps me test my thesis. However uncomfortable it may feel to hear takes that are um, potentially done in a malicious manner even. So, uh, yeah, I think there's some value in that. Um, but it's it's really up to the analyst. I mean, if the analyst is is doing so maliciously, shame on them. If they're doing it honestly, then it's really up to the individual to decide who they trust most, right? And that takes a lot of research, which a lot of time is uh, is hard to to find, right? A lot of a lot of time. So, yeah, that's uh, that's a good balance. Everyone should get views uh, opposite side. Uh, LMAO at Gorgeous Lost Perspective. I agree with you 100%. Yeah, I mean it's it's a. Uh, I think it's it's weird, right? Because we live in a, in a time right now where it's very easy to fall into an echo chamber. It's really easy to fall into sort of like a corner where even in the Tesla community, if you're on Twitter, you know what I'm talking about. It's uh, It can get weird. And I want to fight the, the feeling inside of me that says, just they don't understand what they're talking about. They're so dumb. Like, what the hell? Man, that's tribalism, man. Like even within the Tesla community, there's tribalism in a sense. And it's very important, in my opinion, to ensure, especially for a community, I feel like that we're always out there saying, you know, hey, like Tesla's very forward-looking and Elon's very unorthodox, but he's very forward-looking. Like this is how we should do it. I think it's also, we should be applied to diversity of thought as well. So uh, again, we should be very open about disagreeing with people and going out there and saying, hey, I disagree with you here. This is my rebuttal to it. And God knows all of us have done this about the Tesla story for God knows how many years now, some of us, right? We've been fighting this battle forever. But now we're at the point where Tesla is very much, very much a self-sustaining company in a sense. They have 20 billion in cash. They're going to make probably close to 50, 40 to $50 billion in cash next year, most likely. They're going to start a buy, buyback program. They're growing their sales 50% year over year. They have new product lines coming down the pike. They're going to solve full self-driving. They're going to solve the Tesla bot. This company does not need help. Does not need help. So it's important to ensure that all of us are doing our best to be as balanced as humanly possible so we make the best decisions for ourselves. and to also um hear the other side and try to create good conversation because that's just healthy it's 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 a good practice to do i think and that's one thing i've, I've learned through this youtube journey is like get there's a lot of value in that even if it's like even if it's again like uncomfortable and you're like Fuck, like i don't want to do this necessarily it's valuable so i just went on my soapbox for like 20 minutes or five minutes i don't even know how long i went on but yeah i, I feel pretty strong about that especially as of late Especially, especially as of late. So, um, is everyone kind of waiting for ICE companies to become more desperate and see what is up their sleeves? Mergers, bankruptcies, uh, anti-inflation bailout. I do think the the chances for say a GM to get a bailout of some sort are increasing quite a bit in the into the next year or two. And speaking with Sandy yesterday, sort of reinforced my my thought process around that. That these legacy companies, especially with the Chinese companies coming down the pike here with their products that seem to be very competitive especially against legacy auto that the say your Ford and GMs are going to be in a lot of trouble. And we've talk, been talking about this for a long time. They just don't have the supply chain and the scale to be able to crank a million EVs per year. Not even close, not even close. So will they survive? Maybe, but there'll be a shell of their former selves. You know, GM sells what? Uh, 7 million cars per year, Toyota 10, they're going to be selling seven GM closer to six, maybe Fords, I think three or four. They might be only selling half a million cars per year moving forward. You know, they're going to do some giant restructuring. So the net number of vehicles out there are probably going to come down quite a bit. And that's sort of the value of death that keeps being talked about. So 
that's going to impact a lot of jobs. That's going to impact a lot of industry. That's going to impact a lot of supply chain. So governments will likely have to step in and figure out how to stop the bleeding in some sense, especially if they're trying to be uh, cognizant of how that's going to impact their local economy, their local supply chain, the local industry, in the case of GM and Ford. One of the worst situations that could happen is, you know, regardless of your viewpoint on China and whatever, but this is a dynamic that's likely to happen is China will start selling electric cars in the US. They're going to be priced very competitively. They're probably going to be pretty damn good because from all the uh, signals we get from people like Elon and Sandy and experts in the industry say, China is making good stuff when it comes to EVs. And as Sandy talked about yesterday, the Japanese revolution of the car with the Corolla and the Accord and the Civic, you know, people in, in these sort of like smaller economy cars back in the day, um, where the American industry was American industry was super convinced that it was never going to happen. Guess what? It it gutted <laughs> the American industry and uh, the vehicle industry, and it hasn't really survived since. Oldsmobile, Pontiac, what are all these like offshoot brands that don't exist anymore? Saturn. I mean, there's so many. There's so many. And th those are all over the course of history. They were really impacted, you know, in 2008, mainly because of the Great Recession. But also there was a long tail before that where all these car companies kept reducing and reducing and reducing, where now... In the U.S., we only have three, GM, Ford, Tesla. Whereas if you go back 80 years ago, it was like, what, 100? I don't even freaking know. There were so many brands. It's probably going to happen again. But this time, it's going to be the, the Chinese automaker with the EV. So it's going to get crazy, man. It's going to get weird. It's going to get real weird. 2025. It's going to get real weird. Really, really weird. Why Chinese brand can deliver full autonomy? Um, why can they? Well, I don't know if they can. I think it comes down to what's probably going to happen here is Tesla's going to solve it. They'll license. And the Chinese are probably going to be the first one to say, yep. Or they're going to come out with their own technology. They're probably going to be one of the very first ones to be able to solve that as well. So just based on how much money they're throwing at the problem, it seems like. But if one player solves it, there's nothing stopping that player from licensing. And if, especially if it's a safety improvement, if you think back to the seatbelt and, and Volvo, Volvo invented the seatbelt back in 1960, something like that. And they decided to allow any automaker to basically put on the car for free. But the car companies and, and, then, <laughs> and then regulators were looking to make this uh, a law for car car companies to have seatbelts in the car. And then uh, car companies are like, no way, you can't do this. This is crazy. This is crazy. Why? Because it would cost them money <laughs> to change their manufacturing process to add the seatbelt thing in, inside the car. So, and be, but, but it was such a paramount safety concern. You know, they could see like, hey, dude, like if you put the seatbelt in the car, it's literally, it's literally going to cut debts by, I don't know, 50%, 80%. This is crazy that we're not doing it. Full self-driving will probably be something like that in the next 10 to 20 years, for sure. Once you are able to say, hey, a million car deaths per year globally, guess what? 10, 100, 1,000. I don't know. Even if it's 10,000, you know, that's a 99% reduction. It becomes a no-brainer. So whoever has the technology at that point becomes a giant winner because then they can start leveraging the technology. Uh, at other manufacturers, and they'll probably, you know, it's up to them to decide if they want to do it for free or, you know, at a very cheap price. But Tesla will probably charge for it because it's it's significantly more complex than a seatbelt, it seems, although it's just code. So who knows? Maybe maybe full self-driving becomes such an insanely cheap technology that they'll they'll be willing to give it for free, although get, you know, they'll get a back end of like say, I don't know, five cents a mile. I don't fucking know, you know, whatever it could be. So um, excuse my French. Anyway. All right. We're one hour in. Thank you guys very much. We'll call it right there. Thank you so much to the 600 folks on the stream. Love you guys. Always appreciate everyone's support. It's been a crazy couple of weeks. I get it. Even for me, I've been learning a lot. It's It's been quite the uh, quite the interesting um, journey, but I'm very appreciative of everybody who has been uh, stuck, st stick with the channel and uh, just watching me go through my journey. And I'm always appreciative of your support. Uh, if you enjoy what you watch, throw me a like, subscribe. 
I got a merch line in case you want to support the channel that way. I'm trying my best to make the best freaking clothes in the world. I'm not even kidding. Um, Farzatmitzbahi.com slash merch in case you're interested. I got some shirts. I got some hoodies. I got some phone cases. Whatever you like. I got my face with a beard. I'm going to have to make a new one without it. Just kidding. It's going to keep growing pretty quick. But anyway, thank you guys so much. I uh, appreciate it. We'll see you tomorrow. Take it easy, everybody. Have a great day. And uh, yeah, I hope you have a great night. Bye-bye.